Good morning, everybody. This is Will Richardson in San Francisco. Welcome to the Richardson Financial Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to be with Tom Hegna. I'll give everybody a little bit of background on Tom. Tom's had numerous best-selling books, including Paychecks and and Playchecks, and also Don't Worry, Retire Happy, among others. He's been a main platform speaker at MDRT Top of the Table and the MDRT meeting, and he speaks a couple of hundred days a year, and we're excited to be able to spend a few minutes together. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Will. Good to be with you. Definitely. You know, I thought it'd be fun to have have you start with this topic around the challenges in today's world with a 60-40 portfolio. Yeah, well, I recently wrote a newsletter, and it got picked up by Forbes magazine last month, On and I wrote the 60-40 portfolio is dead long live life insurance and annuities and, and what I was simply talking about there is that you know the average wealthy investor is invested somewhere around 60% in stocks and 40% in bonds and my point is that the 40% bond side is virtually dead and the reason is the upside of bonds is what one two three percent upside but yet if interest rates go up those bonds can fall 20 30 40 50% downside risk so they have very little upside risk they have huge downside risk And all I said in the article is that that's a perfect place for permanent life insurance for younger people. So let's say somebody 30, 40, maybe even 50, as a bond substitute, that's a perfect place for a whole life policy or another permanent life insurance policy that gets a bond-like return but doesn't have the interest rate risk that a bond has. For older people in their 60s and 70s and 80s, that's a perfect place for a lifetime income annuity where they get basically the returns of a, they, they get the safety of a triple A rated bond, but the returns of a, of a triple C rated bond with zero standard deviation. And so for younger people, it's a perfect place for permanent life insurance as a bond substitute. For older people, an income annuity would be a perfect bond substitute in the portfolio. Well, you know, when people conventionally think about it, do you think they're aware of that interest rate risk that you just walked through? Or do you think they think, well, I've got 40% in bonds and that's what I'm supposed to have? Well, not only that, but if they're in government bonds, they say, gee, they're safe, they're government bonds. If, yeah, if you hold them to maturity, but not <laughs> in between now and maturity, those bonds can, can uh, swing, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50%. And I don't think the average person knows that. And that when it ha- does happen to them, you know how investor behavior kicks in and they're likely to sell at the wrong time then too. So they bought at the wrong time, they'll sell at the wrong time, and they just keep repeating those mistakes. Well, I've heard you talk before about how you initially became aware of, of permanent insurance just as a, as a bond alternative when, when somebody uh, showed you the, the, I think it was a seven pay situation. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about how you became aware of that strategy and got in the business ultimately? Yeah. So I, at the time I was a company commander out of Fort Ord, California in the 7th Infantry Division. I was with the U.S. Army. I was a buy-term invest-the-difference guy, and there was a there was a MetLife agent going through my unit selling permanent life insurance. And I, I was kind of upset about that, that he's trying to rip off my soldiers. So I said, you know, bring him to me, because when you're a commander, you can do that. And uh, he needed my birth date for whatever reason. So I said, give my birth date. And he comes into the office and, and I said, so I hear you've been, you know, ripping off my soldiers. What's going on? He goes, no, I've been protecting your soldiers. I've been helping them build their future. And I said, well, let me see that that thing. And he said, well, I happen to have your birth date. So I ran you an illustration and you ran a seven pay on me. And I look at this and I, I see, okay, you pay this much. Yeah, it's more than a term policy, but then in seven years it's done. 
and the cash value keeps growing, the, the death benefit keeps growing. I said, why would anybody buy term if you have this kind of policy? And he goes, I don't sell term, I sell this. I say, you get paid to sell this? He said, I get paid good to sell this. I said, I could sell that. So <laughs> that's how I got into the business. And I, what I would tell advisors is show those seven pay or 10 pay or whatever, the limited pay policies uh, to business owners, entrepreneurs, people who like to pay things off, people who, who, who thought they believed in buy term and invest the difference. I think those are all great candidates for an accelerated pay policy. Well, it's, you bring up an interesting point. So we talked a little bit about the interest rate risk that, that bonds have. So, so how is it different when you have bonds in ultimately inside an insurance policy? What are some of the, the mechanisms that help people have a better outcome there than if they had, let's say, a bond fund? Well, um, the bonds inside the policy, the, the insurance company takes that risk, and, and for the insurance company, it's not the same risk because they do hold those bonds to maturity. So that's a very different, there's a very, very big difference between a company and, and an individual because the company's going to be there for 100 years. They can hold that stuff uh, till maturity. But then the, the policy also has guaranteed cash values and it also pays dividends. Now, the dividends are not guaranteed, but for most of these companies, they pay them every year for 100 years. So uh, they may not be guaranteed, but they're they're about as close to uh, regular payments as you're going to get in the market. Well, that, that's a good segue to another concept that I know is uh, is really uh, an important part of your of your content, and that is this idea of how the insurance companies can essentially be on both sides of the risk on the life insurance side. Then you mentioned guaranteed annuities, so. So how does that work? How do you think about their ability to do that? Yeah, well, I mean, think about it. People say it sounds too good to be true. If you sell a million dollar term policy for 25 bucks, how can a company take one check at 25 bucks? Somebody gets hit by a bus, they got to pay out a million bucks. And then people say, oh, it sounds too good to be true that a 90 year old could be guaranteed 20% a year for the rest of their life. Oh, those sound too good to be true. They're not, they're, they're all actuarially calculated by, it's all math and science. And so what I would say is because the insurance companies on both sides of the mortality and longevity risk scale, they are the only ones that can protect somebody from dying too soon or living too long. See, there's no product in the world you can buy that will replace a life insurance policy. There's no stock or bond or real estate investment trust that on the day you die will spring up over $5 million. Only life insurance can do that. There's no product you can buy that will replace a lifetime income annuity and guarantee you a paycheck every month for the rest of your life, no matter how long that is, because only a life insurance company is on both sides of that risk. I see only a, only a lifetime income annuity can protect you from living too long and only a life insurance policy can protect you from dying too soon. And so because the company's on both sides of that risk, they can neutralize longevity and mortality risk to themselves and to their clients. Let me, let me try to explain it one other way. I was in Singapore a few years ago and I got interviewed by Asia Insurance Review. And they said, Tom, we've been reading your material and we just don't understand how these insurance companies can guarantee these paychecks for life because we believe medical technology is developing so rapidly that soon people are gonna live to be 100, 110, 120, 130. And if they have to pay these paychecks for the rest of these people's lives, they're all gonna go broke. And I just smiled and I said, well, you got it half right. You're right, they will be paying a lot of lifetime income. But guess what? They won't be paying any death claims on all those life insurance policies they wrote because they're on both sides of that risk. They're the only ones that can protect people from dying too soon or living too long. Well, that's that's a great point. And you know, I know in one of the, uh, the videos that I saw that you did recently, you mentioned that 
you've set in motion some of these income strategies for yourself and do you have them coming in at, at different points along the way in terms of different ages, et cetera? Yeah, so, I, you know, and I think the key to, to success in retirement is not just income, it's increasing income for the rest of your life. And there's several ways you can do that. You can cover your basic living expenses with guaranteed income and then optimize the rest of your portfolio by investing in stocks or mutual funds or real estate to give you increasing income. Or you can do what I did, which is do it all with guaranteed products. And I've got guaranteed income products that start when I'm 60. I got more that start when I'm 65, more that start when I'm 70, more that start when I'm 75. I've got 11 of them. And I've laddered them to ensure I will have increasing income for the rest of my life. Well, that's so. So another thing that uh, just a transition, you know, that we're uh, on the tax side of things. So I know one of your concepts is this idea of of a creating income that increases and b having different options about how things are going to be taxed. So, so how do you think about this concept that you describe as tax diversification? Well, you know, we talk about asset allocation, diversification of, you know, stocks, bonds, international, real estate, that's all the diversification, but what about tax diversification? See, I've been on this planet now for over 50 years, and I've watched a lot of presidents come in, and we get some presidents that raise taxes, and then some presidents that cut taxes, and then some presidents that raise taxes, some presidents that cut taxes. Wouldn't it be nice to have a strategy? that no matter which president gets in there, you have a bucket of money you can pull money from. See, most people right now have all their money in pre-tax dollars, their IRA, their 401k, their, their profit sharing, their pension plan. Those are all things that when they take that money out, they're gonna get hammered in taxes. And I don't have to go over the fact we're 20 trillion in debt with 120 trillion of unfunded obligations. I mean, at some point, I believe taxes have to go up and, and those people are gonna be paying the taxes, all right? So wouldn't it make sense to have some of your money in, in tax-free, uh, like Roth IRAs and cash value life insurance, where you have a bucket of money that you can take money out of there tax-free, so that if taxes do go up, you can take money out of there. If taxes go down, you can take money out of your IRA and 401k. I'm just saying, why don't you have two buckets of money? One that if taxes are high, it makes sense to pull money out tax-free. If taxes go low, pull money out of your taxable account. I, to me, it just makes perfect sense to have a tax diversification plan and not have all your eggs in the pre-tax bucket. So as you think about the, one of the other benefits of having the cash inside an insurance program is that you're not paying taxes as, as you earn interest and then there's there's a few other ways to take it out. So as you So as you think about it, I know there's a concept you have of helping people reduce taxes throughout retirement, including Social Security. So can you talk about the difference of how a person accesses cash in an insurance policy as compared to, say, tax-free interest on a municipal bond? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, tax-free bond interest isn't very tax-free once you hit age 62 or older and start drawing Social Security. A lot of people don't know all the interest in so-called tax-free bonds is taxable towards Social Security benefits. So that's one big difference, whereas life insurance withdrawals and life insurance loans, depending on how you take the money out, you can take it out completely tax-free, non-reportable, all right? That's that's a big difference. It's, it's so it doesn't cause your Social Security benefits to be taxed or other things like that. So within a life insurance policy, you have a tax, you have, you have a, um, you've, you've built up this, this, this income or, or, or cash value that you can tap either by withdrawal 
or if you tap out all your withdrawals, you can take loans against the policy. And as long as the policy is enforced, there's not going to be a taxable event on that money. And so, and, and some companies have what are called net zero loans or net 1% loans where you can take the money out essentially tax-free and without having to pay interest back. So, um, you know, that's where you got to look at what policy you have and you talk that over with your financial professional. But it, it's certainly handy to have a bucket of money that you can access without having to pay tax on it. Well, that makes a lot of sense, and I know one of the one of the things that I read an article you wrote recently about just not just low interest rates, but in some cases negative interest rates, and how that how that affects our ability to to put money in different places. So, so how does that uh, play into this conversation? Well, somewhere between fifty and sixty percent of all the bonds in the world right now are paying negative interest rates, and if you think about that. That's crazy that you have to actually pay that government or pay a company to, to put your money there. I mean, it, we can't even fathom it. We haven't had really much for negative interest rates over here, but in much of the world, it's been negative rates. And I think at some point, we will see it over here. I mean, uh, we, are, we are facing huge deflationary pressures, not inflationary. And I don't have time to go over that, but if people just want to Google my name in 2017 economic commentary, I, I, there's a free YouTube video out there that, that I'll explain it all. But I mean, I believe interest rates are likely to go lower, not higher. And, and so that's very different than what a lot of the CNBC and all the TV shows say. But I've been right on the money for the last six or seven years when everybody else has been predicting interest rates are going up. I said they're not, and they're still not, and they're still not going to. So um, because of all these deflationary pressures that we face. So part of that, and I know that concept that you think about in terms of having somebody think about how much insurance do they actually need, you're finding that they, they really would want to have more versus less in a low interest rate environment, right? Yeah, well, I mean, think about it. In, in a 1% interest rate environment, and we, I say we are in a 1% interest rate environment, how much life insurance would it take uh, invested at 1% to give 50000 of income? And the answer is $5 million. Now, how many people do you know that make 50000 a year walking around with $5 million? And how many people do you know that are making 200000 300000 400000 are walking around with 20, 30, 40 million? And then people say, well, Tom, that is ridiculous. And I say, okay, well, what if interest rates were 5%? They're not, but what if they were? Well, then it would take $1 million invested at 5% to give you 50000 a year. And so I think that is the bare minimum, that, that people should carry no less than $1 million of life insurance for every 50000 of income. And I know some people are going to say that still sounds high. Well, I could tell them a story about a widow in Arizona who, uh, this story happened when I was writing the conclusion of my second book, Retirement Income Masters. Um, her husband was killed unexpected. She, she got a $1 million death claim. She wanted to sit down with me. I don't sell any products or anything, but I said I'd you know, give her some advice, and she thought she was a millionaire. And I explained to her that $1 million in a 1% interest rate environment is $10,000 a year. And that, yeah, maybe she could get 20000 30, 35, 38000 But every expert I know says you can't take out four. Four is going to fail, especially this has to last her 50 years. So here she thought she was a millionaire. And by the time we're done, she's really a $38,000 a year woman. And there's no custom houses that I know of available at 38000 a year because she had wanted to build custom houses and all this other stuff. And I said, and then she said, "Well, she can't live on thirty-eight thousand a year. Her husband made two hundred fifty thousand a year. Well, somebody making two hundred fifty thousand should be carrying at least five million dollars worth of life insurance." So I, I believe that probably ninety-nine percent of your listeners right now are underinsured for life insurance. 
Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. And when you tie it back to the income that somebody's going to need later, it, it takes a lot more in this in the world that we're in today. And the other concept that I've heard you talk about is longevity and how that actually multiplies all the other risks that are out there. So, so how does longevity impact everything else in that way? Well, um, I always say there's a lot of risks in retirement, but there's only one number one risk, and that number one risk is longevity risk. Because longevity is not just a risk, it's a risk multiply of all the other risks. Because the longer you live, the more likely the market will crash. The longer you live, the more likely you withdraw too much money. The longer you live, the more likely inflation will decimate your purchasing power. The longer you live, the more likely you're going to need long-term care. See, if you retire when you're 65 and you drop dead when you're 68, it doesn't matter if the market crashes 10,000 points. It doesn't matter if inflation is 15%. It doesn't matter if you are drawing 12% a year. It doesn't matter if you forgot to buy long-term care insurance. You didn't live long enough. But if you live to be 75, 80, 85, 90, it's all those other risks that will wipe you out. So with all the research I can find from the smartest PhDs in the world who study retirement say this, to retire successfully, you must take longevity risk off the table. In all my talks, I talk about how you take longevity risk off the table. And so, so part of that was, so extended care, long-term care, is that, is that a key component of taking it off the table? Well, that's taking the long-term care risk off the table. To take longevity risk off the table, you've got to use some form of guaranteed lifetime income because only some form of guaranteed lifetime income can take longevity risk off the table. But then, yes, you do need to have a plan for long-term care because long-term care is one of the other key risks in, in retirement. In fact, I try to make retirement so simple. Like, like, think about this. If you had a life insurance policy that you had designed to go to your kids so that you knew when you died they were going to get money, right? And then you took the long-term care risk off the table and you covered your basic living expenses with guaranteed income and then had a plan to, for, to give you increasing income. So whether that's with more guaranteed income or with a market-based solution. So you have increasing income for the rest of your life. You took the long-term care risk off the table and you leave life insurance to your kids. What else do you need in retirement? I mean, seriously, what else do you need? You need to go out and enjoy yourself. <laughs> See, retirement is, 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 is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be simple. It's not supposed to be about the stock market, about real estate. It's It can be so simple and so powerful if people just use simple tools. Well, and what I'm hearing you say is there's a psychological impact, isn't there, in terms of if a person knows they've got enough and they're not going to run out, is, it, how's their experience compared to the person that's looking at the, the market every day? Yeah. So part of what I always talk about is how to be happy in retirement. And you know what? The happiest people in retirement have guaranteed lifetime income. Think about it. Who are your happiest friends in retirement? It's your, it's your retired military, retired government, retired teacher, retired professor. It's people with pensions. See, study after study after study has shown people with pensions are much happier in retirement than people who don't have pensions. So when it comes down to it, happiness in retirement is tied almost 100% to guaranteed lifetime income, not assets. The miserable, most miserable friends you got, they're loaded. They got assets out the wazoo, but they're losing money in oil. They're losing money in gold. They're losing money in Twitter. These people are miserable. Assets make people miserable in retirement. What makes people happy is guaranteed lifetime income. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. So back to that conversation a little while ago about how to create a bond alternative. So are we looking at, let's say somebody's in their 40s, what kinds of things would you encourage somebody in their 40s to do so they can be well positioned when they're in their 60s and beyond? Well, I 
I mean, for somebody in their 40s, a permanent policy, a whole life policy, a permanent life insurance policy could be a great bond substitute, or they could buy a deferred income annuity, some type of um, something that's going to provide them income in retirement. That can also be a great bond alternative because the younger you are when you buy one of those deferred income annuities, the higher the guaranteed payout rate for the rest of your life. And that's really where I've been putting most of my money now is in deferred income annuities. I, I have a lot of permanent life insurance, but I buy now 100% of my new purchases are deferred income annuities because I'm just, I've kind of figured this out. Retirement's all about income. It's not about assets. It's not about the stock market. It's not about real estate. Retirement is all about having increasing income and taking key risks off the table. And so having that insurance that you've had for a long time, you're, you're letting that grow, it's not being taxed, and then you, you've got the ability to take that out in years where you've got the floor of income from the annuity strategies, and then do you think of the insurance as simply, hey, if I don't want to sell a stock over here, I can take it out of that? Is that, is that how you view it? Yeah, I mean, it, it'll just give me additional tax-free income. Plus, it's a great place for emergency. See, one of the there's just an article out that said most retirees get tripped up because they have a couple emergencies they weren't expecting. The roof uh, had to be redone at twenty-five thousand, or or they had to have a hip replaced that wasn't covered by Medicare completely, or something. Something happens that throws them their plan off kilter. And so you do need to develop some places where you can get money uh, in the time of emergency that won't cause you, you know, more distress with taxes. I mean, imagine if you had to take, you know, 100000 out of your 401k and it cost you 30000 in taxes to do that. I mean, that's just like adding insult to injury. And so I think there's, there's uh, a good reason to have some money stashed in a place you can get it without having a taxable event because you will have unexpected things happen in retirement you got to plan for the unexpected i'm a military guy we plan for the unexpected all the time we have a backup plan to the backup to the backup because things never go the way they're supposed to in a military operation you could just know that right as soon as the first bullet's fired it isn't going to go the way you think well that's a that's a great analogy you know just a couple of topics as we get ready to wrap up in a bit I, you know, one thing that's interesting is, you know, you, you simplify it in a way that what it is, is, is income. And you, you talked about pensions and Social Security ways to get income. And, you know, there's a lot of things out there that people people think they don't like annuities, meaning there's there's things that they read that, you know, that they aren't efficient, et cetera. So how do you find that annuities in the real world, if they're structured the right way, are different than what people read about in terms of thinking they don't like them? Yeah, well... I always say people can have their opinions, but Tommy's got the facts. And when you <laughs> when you do any of the research, Dr. David Babel of Wharton, Dr. Moshe Malevsky of Toronto, Dr. Menachem Yari of Israel, uh, Nobel Prize winner, Dr. Robert C. Merton, read their work. Because anybody who's studied retirement, anybody who's got any education level at all, knows that you must use some form of annuity to at least give a base level of income. I'm not saying put all your money in this. I've never said that. At least enough to cover basic living expenses because you have to take longevity risk off the table. And you can't do that with stocks. You can't do that with bonds. You can't do that with real estate, okay? All of those fit in the optimization phase of building a portfolio if you want to, but none of them fit to cover basic living expenses if you do any of the research. So, I mean, I always say Susie has her opinions, Dave Ramsey has his opinions, Ken Fisher has his opinions, but Tommy's got the facts. And the facts will beat the opinions 100% of the time. So I stick to facts. They can stick to their opinions, I stick to facts. Well stated. Well, you know, as people that want to learn more or, uh, in terms of your books, et cetera, where, where can people go to get more information about everything that you're up to? 
Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, just go to TomHagnett.com. We've got all the books available there. We've got package deals. We've got online training and coaching where I can literally train and coach advisors. We've got online training and coaching for clients that retire happy you. So, I mean, we've got all kinds of tools available there. I've got a bunch of free videos on YouTube. I've written articles that are in my blog. So, you know, go to TomHagnett.com. That's a great start. Our phone number is 855-TOM-HAGNETT, so it's not hard to find us if you want to. Excellent. Well, Tom, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you sharing your, your wisdom with us today. And any uh, final concepts you want to share as we wrap up? Well, Will, I just think retirement does not have to be complicated. It can be very simple. If you cover your basic expenses with guaranteed income, if you optimize the rest of your portfolio to protect yourself against inflation, if you have a plan for long-term care, and you use life insurance as the most efficient way to pass wealth to your children, grandchildren, and charities, I think you can have a very happy and successful retirement that's based in math and science, not based on some stockbroker's opinion. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being here with us this morning, Tom. This has been great. Thank you, Will.